Hi, everyone, and welcome. Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's time for your midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and it's great to be with you once again. Thanks for taking time to join me. Today is Wednesday, July 19th. We're continuing in our Bible study of 1 Timothy. Today, we're going to study 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, all the way over to chapter 5, verse 2. And we're going to talk about Paul's warnings against false teachers and how Timothy was to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. But before we get to all of that, let's take a minute and have a word of prayer. Almighty God, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this amazing opportunity that we have to study your word again, continuing in this journey through 1 Timothy. Lord, I thank you for those that have come to listen and be a part of us in person today or watch the video. To you be all honor and glory for that. Lord, we just want to learn from you. So we're sitting at your feet today. Lord, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible or Bible apps to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to go all the way to chapter 5, verse 2, and let's find out what Paul has to say. First up, 1 Timothy 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter, 16 verses, and warnings against false teachers is where we start. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They will say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. The next section is titled, A Good Servant of Christ Jesus. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everybody should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on the reading of scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. All right, let's start from the beginning, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and let's talk about Paul's warnings against false teachers. Once again, back to verses 1 and 2. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Here's our first question today. 
In these opening verses, Paul begins by telling Timothy about a certain group of people who will not be following the Lord. Who are they and what are they doing? Take a look at that opening phrase, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly. Do you see that? Often this is met with confusion. The false teaching in Ephesus was no surprise. The betrayal of the gospel had been foreseen. Now, while there is no specific quotation in scripture which matches this wording, Paul most likely is referring to warnings repeatedly given by Jesus and the apostles against the dangers of false teaching. But Paul's direct concern here was not about the teachers themselves as much as for those who would be deceived by them. The phrase last times began with Christ's resurrection and will continue until his return. So in other words, we're in the last times, we're in the last days. And he's going to set up his kingdom and judge all humanity upon his return. Jesus and the apostles forewarned us that during that interim, including the time period we live in, false teachers will abound, loving money and attention, distorting the truth, dividing believers, and causing many to go astray as they follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Then in verse 2, Paul continues with a description of the false teachers. Here he adds the idea that these dangerous voices are not entirely honest. He describes them by using Greek terms, hypocrisia and pseudologon. These are literally meaning hypocrites and liars. A true hypocrite is not one who teaches something they fail to follow, but one who teaches something they don't really believe. Paul's phrasing about the conscience comes from a single Greek word, this literally means to be branded with a hot iron and is often translated simply as seared. One of the unfortunate side effects of a deep burn, of course, is the destruction of nerves. A person whose body is branded frequently loses sensation in that spot. In the same way, it is possible for a person to be desensitized to their own sin. Next up, verses 3 and 4. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods, but God created these foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul mentions two specific points in which the false teachers of his day were mistaken. What are those two points and what do they represent? The two specific points or that it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. These points are both consistent with the heresy of what's called Gnosticism. Gnostics believe that all physical matter is evil. Therefore, the human body, all forms of sexuality and pleasant food were labeled as evil. As a result, the Gnostics rejected marriage and taught people not to eat certain foods. While Paul was unmarried, Christianity has never prohibited marriage. We talked about that last week nor has it upheld celibacy as a holier approach over married sexuality. This self-denying practice was a false teaching arising from those in Ephesus who held to early versions of Gnostic teachings. A focus on Jewish law would have promoted kosher dietary restrictions upon Gentile Christians, even though the early church had rejected this. According to Paul, the physical things God created for our benefit should not be rejected. Paul's reference here is not to the early church, but goes all the way back to God's creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. No food is to be rejected out of hand, but should be embraced with a grateful attitude. The ability to thank God for good things instead of rejecting them is credited to those with correct understanding of God's word and his will. Next verse 5, it reads, For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. 
The question is, here Paul repeats the main theme of the last two verses. What is it and why is it important? The short answer is, nothing God created is evil in and of itself. Paul extends that teaching even further. The physical creations of this world all have some positive use, but even more so, those things used in a thankful, prayerful, biblical way become holy. The food we eat, the materials we build with, the blessing of sexuality within a marriage, everything God gave us in this world can be more than just good. It can be holy and used for his glory when used as intended. Now let's take a look at the next verses, starting with chapter 4, verse 6, all the way till chapter 5, verse 2, where Paul focuses more on how Timothy was to be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Here's verse 6. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Here's our question. What does Paul say a worthy servant of Christ does? He says a worthy servant of Christ faithfully teaches the truth to those in his care. If Timothy would faithfully explain what Paul had been talking about to others, he would be nourished in the process. Proper spiritual nourishment promotes spiritual growth. Proper nourishment for Timothy included constant meditation on the message of faith, which is the gospel message, and good teaching, Paul's instructions that Timothy was to communicate. Timothy had been sent into a setting where there were conflicts over eating habits. Minor matters were being inflated into major issues. Paul was echoing the dietary concerns of the false teachers by emphasizing to Timothy that what really mattered was the feeding of the soul. Look at verse 7. It says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. The question is, here Paul continues to offer Timothy practical advice on how to prepare himself and his church to defend the truth against false teachings. What advice does Paul give Timothy? Paul emphasized the absurdity of the false teachings by calling them godless ideas and old wives' tales. Timothy needed to understand the false teaching in order to fight it effectively with the truth, but then he was not to waste time on it. Instead, he was to focus his efforts on personal godliness, in other words, training himself to be godly. The phrasing used here specifically refers to teaching and instruction. Spiritual development doesn't happen by chance. You've got to work at it. Like an athlete, this requires focus and commitment, constant training, and refusing to let up, always striving. This resembles the words of James 1.22, which commands all believers, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Learning is always meant to lead to action. Next up, verses 8 and 9. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. In these verses, Paul compares physical training for an athlete with spiritual training for godliness. What is his point? Paul is saying that physical conditioning is of some importance, but is less important than a godly life. The reason godliness is more important than physical fitness is due to its eternal value. Physical fitness is a good thing. At the very least, it means taking care of the body God gave us. But physical fitness only benefits us while we have this physical body. On the other hand, spiritual growth impacts eternity. Paul often speaks of the next life as the true focus of the believer. Colossians 3.2 reminds us to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You know, there's many that believe the words, 
don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good or no earthly value. And they think that's in the Bible, but it's not, though it is true. And we can't ignore the earthly realities around us. However, a person with a godly perspective on the good things God has given us can be completely heavenly minded and still of much earthly good. Paul sees the promise of heaven as a reason to live a godly, effective life right now, today. Look at verse 10. It's up next and it reads, This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. The question is, what is the reason Paul says Timothy and us is to continue to work hard and suffer? Folks, it's because of eternity. Eternity with God is not just hope for a possible occurrence. It is hope set on a certain because it is hope in the living God, not on some philosophy, a human being, material possession, or some kind of standard of behavior. Paul also attaches the role of Savior to God. God in his fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was active in carrying out the plan of salvation. Christ is the Savior of all people in the sense that his work on the cross was sufficient to provide salvation for everyone, but it is particularly of all believers because salvation becomes effective only for those who trust him. And if I may note here, universalism, the belief that all humankind will eventually be saved, is not taught in this passage. Some people think it is. The offer of salvation has a universal range, but it does not impose itself on those unwilling to respond. This argument was aimed at the false teachers who attempted to restrict salvation to an elite few and put many more requirements on it than believing in God. Next is verse 11. It reads, Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. The question is, in this verse, Timothy is given two imperatives. What are they? In a nutshell, Timothy was to preach and teach. The items Paul has in mind for Timothy to preach and teach the believers in Ephesus are all the points that he's made so far in verses 1 to 10 that we've just talked about. In particular, Paul is referring to the immediate context of verses 6 through 10. Next up, verse 12, it reads, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Here's the question. What is Paul's encouragement and charge to Timothy in this verse? This important verse has often been quoted to youth ministries and young leaders. Though Timothy was likely in his early 30s when this letter was written, the words apply to any church leader, regardless of age. They were spoken to me prior to my ordination as well, and I was in my mid-40s. Timothy was not to let anyone look down on him because of his age. For all of human history, there has been a tendency for older generations to dismiss younger teachers simply because they're young. In order to counter this, the influence of a young leader should come through his example. Next, Paul gives five specific areas in which Timothy is to serve as an example, a kind of checklist, if you will. What are those five areas and what do they mean? Timothy is to be an example to all believers in, first, what you say. Do you see that? Some of your translations will say teach. Our words create impressions that either facilitate or complicate all other communications. Timothy was to teach with gentle authority while avoiding useless and argumentative conversation. The second way he's to be an example is the way you live. Our lifestyle, as well as our specific behaviors, must be consistent with the gospel. Timothy was to conduct himself as a representative of Christ Jesus, even in the details of daily living. Thirdly, he was to be an example in your love. Do you see that? 
When you say right words and live the right way but lack love, we are demonstrating a legalistic view of God's expectations. After words and actions have their say, love makes the message ring true or false. Fourth, your faith. Sooner or later, people around us will need to understand what motivates our speech, life, and love. A genuine combination of the above will present to others a way of life filled with hope. Faith finally speaks clearly when speech, life, and love have created a hearing. And lastly, your purity. Paul ended this list with a rarely used term for virtue and chastity. As used here, the word implies integrity and consistency and reinforces the entire list we've talked about. Perhaps Paul even had the idea of transparency in mind. The above qualities were to be developed, not just for public display, but as a uniform texture of Timothy's life. And friends, we would all do well to model them as well. Next up, verse 13, it says, Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. The question is, what three aspects of ministry does Paul want Timothy to focus on before he comes to Ephesus? First, Timothy is to focus on reading the scriptures to the church, which was a practice begun in Old Testament times and continued in the synagogues. Secondly, he is to focus on encouraging the believers through preaching. Timothy was to exhort, to warn, advise, and urge his leaders regarding the words of scripture, helping them apply those words to their daily lives. Third, he is to focus on teaching them. This refers to training in Christian doctrine. The people needed to know, understand, and constantly be reminded of the great truths of the Christian faith. All three of these aspects are important in the life of a preacher or a pastor. He must be able to publicly read scripture well, an often forgotten practice in many modern churches, as well as to proclaim it and instruct others accurately. All right, verse 14 is next, and it reads, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Here's the question. Here Paul follows his commands regarding preaching and teaching with a reference to Timothy's gift. What is Paul saying to Timothy? What's this all about? Paul reminded Timothy that he has the necessary requisites to do the difficult work in Ephesus. Among them was a spiritual gift from God. Though Paul did not define the gift specifically, he was concerned that Timothy might hesitate or fail to use it. When we see abilities of all kinds, spiritual, relational, technical, as gifts from God, we will be in a better position to see his hand work through people's efforts. Timothy's commission as a church leader was received through the prophecy spoken over him when the elders of the church laid their hands on him. Timothy's gift had been publicly recognized. This should help Timothy's wavering confidence. Timothy could do the task because God had called him to do it, had equipped him to do it, and would be with him all through it. Verse 15 is next, and it reads, Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into the tasks so that everyone will see your progress. The question is, in this verse, Paul is reinforcing what he's been writing so far. What does he encourage Timothy to do now? He's saying that, Timothy, your life needs to be so focused on serving Christ that it's obvious to everyone. Many people in Ephesus claim to be believers. However, not all lived like it. One way Timothy could stand out, in addition to sound doctrine, was through a life that reflected the true teachings of the Christian faith. And as he did this, progress would be seen both in his personal life and in the church. This would end any questioning about Timothy's maturity 
or credibility. In contrast, the false teachers would reveal their wrong nature of their false teachings through their sinful actions. All right, next is verse 16. It says, keep a close watch on how you live and your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. The question is, as Paul closes out chapter 4, he advised Timothy to do something. What was it and what would be the result? First, Timothy is to evaluate himself, perhaps again building on the athletic analogy used in verses 8 and 15. The areas he is to evaluate include his life and his teaching. Both were developed earlier in this chapter and are essential to effective ministry. The ability to understand, to teach, to live out the truths of the gospel, it's really essential to the work of the Christian church leader. In addition, Paul tells Timothy to stay true to what is right. This is also a reference to persistence, a key theme in both physical training and our spiritual life. For example, Hebrews 12.1 teaches, Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. The reason for Timothy's persistence would be for the sake of his own salvation and the salvation of those who heard him. This was not about Timothy earning his salvation. He was saved by faith. However, he could save his life and those of his church from the error of false teaching through his example and by teaching the truth. Let's cross over now to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectively as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Our question is, Paul wisely knew that for young Timothy to remain above reproach in dealing with a variety of people in his church, he would have to treat them in a certain way. What is it? Timothy would have to treat the people in his church as a family. The phrase speak harshly refers to a verbal pounding or disrespectful treatment. If correction was necessary, Timothy should not speak harshly. Instead, he should appeal to the older men with kind words, respectfully, as if he were speaking to his own father. Even correction or rebuke has to be phrased in encouraging terms. And in the same way, Timothy was to speak kindly to younger men, as if they were his brothers. He was to lead them gently. Without using the specific term, Paul was speaking about submission. Timothy was to practice submissive gentleness in correcting his seniors. He was to do the same with treating his juniors. And now our last verse for the day, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. In this last verse, Paul switches his focus to how Timothy should treat older and younger women. What does he say? Jesus recognized the personhood of women. They were no longer to be treated as property, so they were no longer to be demeaned. Paul affirmed this principle as he explained to Timothy how to treat his sisters in the faith. The most effective method for remaining above reproach would be to treat church members as family members. So Timothy should treat the older women as if they were his own mother and the younger women as with all purity like his sisters. This strongly discourages viewing them with lust or sexual impurity. Also referring to Christian women as sisters appears to have been a common practice in the early church. Today, men in the ministry can avoid improper attitudes toward women by following Paul's advice. Men who see women as fellow members in God's family will treat them with all purity, in other words, respect and protection, and helping them grow spiritually. Purity refers to the same quality that Paul mentions in chapter 4, verse 12. It covers moral behavior and transparent attitudes without hidden intentions. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study. First Timothy, we started in chapter 4, verse 1, went all the way to the end, verse 16. 
then crossed over to chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This study just keeps getting better and better, and it goes deeper and deeper. By the grace of God, we finished strong yet again today, and to God be the glory for all of that. Next time, we're going to be studying 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting with verse 3, and going all the way to chapter 6, verse 2a. And we'll talk about advice about widows, elders, and slaves. Thanks again for being with me today. Have a great rest of your day and week, and I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.